New jingle, new voices. Welcome to this special guest season of Retrain Your Brain with me, chartered psychologist Dr. Audrey Tang. In this season, I am privileged to speak to so many well-being guest experts to learn all about their field and to give you loads of practical tips and tools to live your best life. Tonight, I thought I would talk about sex. Well, sexual health in particular. And it's not just about when we're young, but as we get older. In fact, particularly when we get older. And tonight in the lounge, I'm delighted that my first guest is Dr. Sharon Hinchliffe of the University of Sheffield, who was the first to recognize that intimacy and sex contribute to a higher quality of life in older adults. And her research has been used by the World Health Organization. And so it's such a wonderful opportunity to learn from her tonight. Welcome to the lounge, Sharon. Hi, Audrey. It's really good to be here. Thank you so much for being here. Why is it so important, not just to retain our independence, but also our sensuality and our sexuality as we get older? We know from research evidence that for many older adults, that sexual activity and intimacy are important quality of life components. And those who are in good health are more likely to be sexually active and have more frequent sex. And similarly, having a sexual partner and a good quality sex life is associated with good health among the over 50s. So you might be surprised to hear that there are things like if we have a good sexual life, um, we might experience decreased pain sensitivity. Uh, We might have lower levels of depression and higher levels of relaxation. There's evidence to suggest that we have better cardiovascular health and higher self-esteem and higher relationship satisfaction as well. And I think if we explore the the last one in a bit more detail, it's the emotional side of that, the intimacy and sexual activity that has the benefits because intimacy allows us to express our love for each other. It allows that closeness with the partner, but we might not otherwise have. And of course, there's a boost to well-being from feeling desired, which is always a good thing. These things are almost implicit. These things come with that relationship. We don't seek them out if we're sexually happy and we're sexually satisfied we know that that's positively associated with lower levels of illness and also it helps us to cope better with chronic disease as well and there's one study that was conducted in Denmark which is quite a large study and people that were over 15 there in that study likened not being able to be sexual active to losing their ability to hear so to a complete loss of hearing they felt it would be that uh, devastating Wow, that's that's huge. That puts it into perspective. With the intimacy and with the well-being aspect, you have written a book addressing the sexual rights of older people. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? topic as well please. Well this is quite an important right that I want to mention now because I know I'm talking about the benefits to sexual activity and intimacy but that's not to say that we're going to become ill if we're not sexually active because some people do live happily and healthier when they're not but that is one of the sexual rights we talk about in the book that right to not be sexually active because there's a lot of messages that we've heard over the years that are kind of encouraging us to maintain that sex life if we want to age well and we certainly don't want to fit into that kind of stereotype saying you've got to be doing it if you want to be uh, looking after your health. Our book it provides a framework uh, to support more inclusive practice really and to recognise that for some people sexual activity 
the sexual relationships are really important. So if you've got a sexual partner, then you're more likely to see those negative health outcomes from sexual difficulties and when your sexual rights are not being met. We've kind of got a theoretical side to the book. There's a practical side as well which makes it suitable for students as well as service providers. We talk about topics that are quite varied. So we're talking about getting older and sexual rights in general. We talk about being heterosexual. We talk about being in same-sex relationships. We talk about what it's like to be intersex. As an older person, we talk about transgender, sexually transmitted infections, dating and sexual assault. So quite a variety of topics, but they all have themes in common. And these all are around stigma, around shame, around silencing and around invisibility, which are quite important issues that we need to be aware of if we're working in this area. So what we do in the book, we make them visible and we interrogate them, but we also provide some guidance for people on how to tackle them in their research or in their clinical practice, any working uh, work that they do. When you're talking about the rights, these these are rights, sexual rights for all of us at any age. Yes, do they yes. change as we get older or do perspectives change? Do people change when we think about rights of older people compared to younger ones? Well, sexual rights are human rights as applied to sexuality. So like you say, they do apply to all of us. But I think some of the conditions around being older and some of the ageism that we see at a structural level and individual level makes the consideration of sexual rights in relation to older adults is quite different in terms of how we'd look at it in with regard to younger people and that is quite simply because there is a bit of a taboo around aging sexuality there's this stereotype that as we get older we're not interested in sex we might not be having sexual activity or if we are having sex we're not having affairs we're not engaging in sexual risks and we know all of that is not true we know that people have multiple sexual partners when they're in their 60s and their 70s we know that some older adults do get sexually transmitted infections and indeed these do seem to show an increase year on year when the statistics are released. So I think there's some special considerations that are related to social attitudes around how we view older adults, how we view ageing and how we view sexuality. Are these the key areas of discrimination that older people seem to face? I think there's quite a few ways in which our sexual rights are not being met as older adults. One of them uh, is in terms of our sexual well-being. So we have done some research with doctors and nurses and we've asked them about how they might manage sexual health in primary care, for example. And they've said that when they're prescribing medications, which they're known to have a sexual side effect, such as erectile dysfunction, some medications will stop us from being able to have an orgasm. They might get rid of our sexual desire. Well, they've said that they're more likely to tell younger patients about that side effect, but not older patients. So when we ask them why that is, they talk about it being like a private issue for older adults. They think that the topic is more private for older adults than younger people, that they won't actually go there. They won't actually raise it and they expect the the older patient to raise it themselves. Oh, my goodness. And actually, if they are right and if it is more of a private issue for the older adult, they are not going to raise it themselves. We actually need the professional to raise it as a fact. This is what happens with this particular medication. And then we feel more comfortable perhaps 
expressing it. Yes, because when we talk to older patients, they say that they want the health practitioner to raise the topic to ask them about their sexual health and well-being, whereas the practitioners want the patients to raise it themselves. So we get in a bit of a catch-22 situation. You know, it is a private topic and it can be embarrassing. So we've found in our research that it does take a bit of time for people to pluck up the courage to actually do go and talk to someone or to seek that professional help. So they tend to delay. They might sort of have a look on the internet, as we all would do, to see if they can find a solution to their problem. Um, They might even try to change their lifestyle. So, you know, if it's an erection problem, they might stop smoking, stop drinking, and see if that makes a difference before they actually go and seek the professional help. But we have got uh, quite a bit of evidence to suggest that once older adults do get there, when they've sought the help, they can be dismissed. And sometimes practitioners say, well, what do you expect at your age? So when you think about that, um, you know, it's took such a long time to pluck up the courage. It's been a long, long journey. The problems got worse. The relationship is affected and uh, they get to the, the point where they've sought the help and then they're dismissed, which just kind of makes it all worse. And we know about people that actually cease having a sexual life because of that. That's awful. And of course, that's why we're having this conversation now. Is there any discrimination specifically related to perhaps LGBTQ that older people experience? When you think about older adults now, so if we're thinking about people in their 60s and their 70s and their 80s, they might have lived through uh, experiences of stigma and discrimination. You know, I think it was around 1970 when to be gay was taken out of the diagnostic and statistic manual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was considered to be a mental illness until recently, well, 50 years ago, 1970s. But there still is a stigma and a taboo around being gay and around being in a same sex relationship relationship so we have to consider these factors and I have heard about individuals that might need um, some sort of care coming into the home from the outside or if they need to go into a residential or a care home and they're not out of the closet and then they fear discrimination and then they sort of hide their identity so you know if they've got a a partner who's passed away who's a same-sex partner I've heard about people hiding that photograph you know, and not having photographs on display about them with their partners, uh, you know, and things like that, because they really do fear that they're going to experience discrimination. And I think that's why a sexual rights framework uh, or any kind of policy that care homes have can help help with this, because it can help to sort of provide training to the staff that work there. It can help to raise awareness. It can help to change attitudes towards people's relationship types. Yes, yes. And, and I mean, that's heartbreaking because... That's so that will be someone who's so huge a part of your life and then to not be able to talk about them when we've got multiple identities you know they can collide so we're talking about ageism sexism and homophobia and it makes it such a, a difficult situation for some individuals like I say if they've experienced discrimination and if they're not out I wanted to ask about age gap relationships where somebody approaches the plus 50 say 10 to 15 years before the other partner they are kind of changing in their approach to Mm. to sexual health whereas the younger partner maybe isn't or even vice versa 
Yes, yeah. I think that can be a really, really difficult situation to be in, no matter what the age of the partners. So if there's any kind of mismatched sexual desire or if there's a sexual difficulty in one partner but not in the other one. And indeed, it can be a really, really tough situation to deal with. Um, and we found as well in our research that if, if one partner won't talk about it, and which often they don't because it's embarrassing or it might be an assault on their masculinity, uh, that that can cause more problems than if they do talk about it. And because by not talking about it, um, the partner can feel a sense of rejection. They can feel unloved. They can feel frustrated, you know, and it just exacerbates that situation and makes it more and more difficult. A friend of mine who doesn't mind discussing his sexual situation <laughs> has described maintaining a sexual relationship with his wife as he gets older a little bit akin to putting on an elastic waistband rather than your jeans how do we retain that sense of intimacy if we want to as we get older it can be more of an issue for a long-term relationship rather than a specific age-related issue you know so the longer we are with an individual maybe you know some sort of routine sets in and maybe a little bit of fatigue can become a, a common issue but for all relationships we have to put in a bit of work whether it's something to do with having that partner relationship or whether it's to do with the sexual element of that partner relationship yes and there are various things we can do to kind of try and retain that intimacy and you know doing things together that might not necessarily be sexual but that really in, in involves things that you do enjoy so kind of rebuilding a sense of connection and engaging meaningfully with each other can sort of really uh, get the sparks going so these are not necessarily sexual acts or acts of intimacy uh, per se, but they are things that sort of um, might try to help us get us out of that routine. You see, that's really important because, because you are focused in the area of sexual health and intimacy. It, it, it's almost very um, automatic to, to expect a sexual health fix this is the area we're dealing with, this is what's going to work. But what you're saying, and this applies to all aspects of well-being, is that actually improving well-being in one other area might have benefits for a different one. And that's quite important for not only us to remember, but for practitioners to remember as well. And I think another sort of tip, if I was to give a tip about sort of um, changing the elastic band to a new pair of jeans would be to remember the sort of um, concept of outer course. So that's different to sexual intercourse. And this is where our touch and our kissing and our cuddling without any sexual intercourse, uh, with no expectation that it's going to lead to sexual intercourse, is a good way to build up a sexual tension. I love that phrase. I've never heard that phrase before. I am now going to use that. It's going to be hashtag outer course. I, that is fantastic. <laughs> So is that part of your, your research and, and have you found that this is what has been helpful for, for many people? Certainly, yeah, yeah. They don't tend to describe it in that way, though. Um, I, I guess this is the language that we might use as practitioners or academics, but they do talk about intimacy becoming more important and perhaps about sexual activity, the frequency becoming less, because we do find that in all the studies that have been done in across the world, we do see that as we get older, the frequency of sexual activity and intercourse declines, but the sort of importance of intimacy increases but we know that sex and intimacy are not easy topics to talk about 
Yes, you know. and that's why I'm so grateful to have you on this show because we're talking about it. And I notice the more I talk about topics, I've done three shows on the menopause already, and it makes it so much easier to converse. And that's why I'm so grateful. Not only have you done this amazing research, but that you're willing to, to talk about it and encourage us to talk about it as well. Where can we find out more about you and read your research and so on? Well, I have a website and it's SharonInchliffe.com. So I think that's the one way you can keep up to date with the things that I'm doing. So it's got my blog work on there. It's got any sort of publications and um, it's got sort of information about the sexual rights work we're doing. But we also have a hashtag as well, if anyone wants to follow that. It yes, is please. Sex Rights Age. So the more awareness we build of that, the more we kind of get these conversations going, the more awareness we raise, the more understanding we deepen. And quite simply to me, it's about normalising those conversations. Yes, yes. Oh, that's wonderful. And that's all we have time for. But if you'd like to find out more, do go to my website, which is www.draudreyt.com and check out my articles, which give you practical tools to live your best life. Or you can go to my YouTube channel, which is Dr. Audrey Tang, Tools to Thrive. <laughs>